You think Gotham City is a peaceful city? Ho, ho, ho! Put your gum under your seats, hold your breath, and get ready to cheer Batman and hiss his diabolical enemies. Hissable enemy number one is now about to strike. Hello everyone and welcome to the first in a series of Batman Universe specials examining and celebrating the Batman TV show from the 60s. My name's Nick and with us today we've got all the Batman Universe contributors. You got Dustin. You got Apple. You got Josh. This is Savannah. And we're here today to honour and remember the fantastic TV show from the 60s. We're going to be looking back on the old show and revisit its history remember our favourite moments, and come to understand why it was so popular all those years ago, and is still fondly looked back on today, and is surely one of the oldest TV shows to still live on in everyone's memory. During these specials, we'll be looking back over the creation of the show and its inception, the colourful cast and brilliant actors who became involved with the show over the years. Then we'll be moving on to what we've come to recognise in a typical episode, the show's style, its format, and why it was and is so popular. Then we've got loads of fun facts and trivia in store for you, which you've never will have known bef- about the show before, followed by all the details about the show's highest point, the movie, which we all love. Then we're going to delve into the show's dark days and explain the reasons for its cancellation, as well as the problems with the rights to distribute the DVD and the frustration Batman fans have with no DVDs available. We'll be looking at what the actors did next, including a review of the recent film Return to the Batcave. And we'll be chatting about the show and talking about all our favourite moments and memories from the 60s. So sit back, relax, and prepare to learn everything about the good old-fashioned 60s show. So before we get started with this special, we're just going to go around and ask everyone what their experiences are with the 60s show. How and when did you watch it? What were your feelings for it as a kid? And as an adult, what do you feel about it now? Me personally, I used to watch it when I was a kid. It used to be on uh, have reruns on the BBC. And I used to really love it back then. Uh, and as I've got older, I've, I probably didn't watch it for about five or ten years, but then recently, a couple of years ago, I watched it again and fell in love with it all over again, and it made me laugh all the time. And the movie especially, I can watch over and over, and it always makes me laugh. But what about the rest of you? Well, I first got introduced to the show through reruns on Saturday afternoons, um, that's the only time it was ever on. I didn't have cable, so we didn't have TV land or anything like that where we could watch it like it's on, like it has been on in the past. But I was introduced to the reruns on Saturday afternoons. I watched it. I kind of thought it was kind of hokey, I guess is the best way to word it. But uh, I never really understood why it was. This was also the same time that I was starting to get into comics as well and read comics and realize why is it so different than the comics. And as a lot of people know, I'm not a huge fan of the TV series, but it's a, it's a part of Batman, and I've grown to appreciate it a lot more so now than you know probably ten years ago or even five years ago. But that's how I got introduced to it. For me, I grew up uh, as being a kid, uh, growing up in the eighties. Uh, what it was was that uh, it was rerunning on uh, on shows. When every time we came home from school, uh, it was always doing reruns. But my uh, my dad 
would always uh whenever it was on he would always put it on and he, you know he would go ahead and call me and say hey junior batman's on so i would come running you know i would come running to see batman because you only got to see the cartoons on saturday but i was like i was i was a batman fan as a kid and i wanted to see batman all the time and so they started running it after school so every day after school i was rushing home to come see uh come see uh transformers gi joe and transformers would start and uh i mean uh and then uh, the Batman show would start. And so um, I became a, a fan like that. Uh, later on, well, of course, I was, it was probably maybe around 86, 87, uh, got cable. And then uh, I remember the network. It was the WGN, and they played the Batman movie. And I was like, what? There was a movie? So I remember I was being all shocked. And uh, I stayed there. I remember me and my dad got some popcorn and sat down, and we were watching uh, the, 1960, the 1966 Batman movie on WGN. And, uh, man, it was, like, so exciting. I wanted I recorded every show uh, on PHS, and uh, it's just fond memory. I, I, I love that show. I know people, I know it's campy. I know, I mean, it can make you fun. But, man, I, I, I love those shows. I love the Batmobile. I love everything about it. Well, my experience with the show was mostly indirect until I became, like, a, a real hardcore Batman fan, I guess. Um, because my mom and uncle used to just love that show. They are always speaking in Batman and or Star Trek references and putting, they like to put holy in front of things and do the Robin punch and things like that. They really enjoyed it as kids and they still love it and wish it was out on DVD. And so I was introduced to it from them loving it. And eventually, I learned how to use YouTube <laughs> and um, figured out that it was on there. And we found the movie a few years ago, and Mom was so excited. And I was kind of excited because I w- could finally see the movie. And I really love it. It's different, certainly, but it's an interesting... I think it's cool take that was appropriate for television at the time and it's really fun to watch I was always aware of the show on some level but I think that my first impression when I was little was the theme song because I remember my parents singing the theme song (laughs) but uh they would get the lyrics wrong, which is kind of sad because there's really only one lyric. <laughs> there's like two lyrics. <laughs> well, this is what they would think of Batman, and then afterwards they go, Robin. And, <laughs> and when I finally saw the show, I was waiting for them, like Robin and the lyrics, and I was like, because you know, you got that when you're little where it's like, there's no way mommy and daddy could be wrong. I'm like, they don't say Robin. I was like, well, maybe it's in season two. <laughs> Or whatever my child impression of Seasons was at the time. And obviously, I took the show seriously. You know, when I was in my Batman phase, I loved it. And I didn't understand that it was supposed to be hokey and it was supposed to be a spoof and it was supposed to be silly. I was like, you know, oh my God, you know, a shark is on his leg. This is just from the movie. Like, this is... This is serious stuff. And then, like, you know, my brother's laughing and my, you know, friends are laughing. I'm like, no. <laughs> I mean, come on. Shark repellent bat spray. And I remember reading in one of the Batman source books I had, they were talking about spoofs. And they said the Batman TV series, which was a spoof on its own. I was like, it wasn't a spoof. Well, <laughs> luckily, I, I did get older and I watched it again. And I was like, wow, 
how could I have not picked up on this stuff? But it's fun to watch. You know, mm-hmm. come on, everything, the narration, it, it, it's awesome. So first, guys, a history lesson. The 1966 Batman television show was not the first live-action incarnation of Batman and Robin on film. Two serials were made prior to it. The first was a 1943 Batman by Columbia Pictures starring Lewis Wilson as Batman and Douglas Croft as Robin. Rather than fight Gotham's costume criminals, Batman was after a Japanese spy, Daka. The second was 1949's Batman and Robin and starred Robert Lowry and John Duncan in the respective roles. Both serials were low budget and apparently average for their period and were stood out for some of the better serials of the day. Some familiarities to the comic were missing as well from the films such as the Batmobile or popular villains like the Joker or Penguin. Neither feature was a major success. By the time Batman rolled out into the 20th Century Fox Studios as a possible feature for the growing television series market, the comic was facing cancellation due to poor sales. Batman had just gotten a newer look in 1964 under DC's editor Julius Schwartz, which included the famous yellow bat signal version of his chest logo. The extended members of the Batman family were dismissed, and so were the monsters and space aliens. Even with these changes to the comic, it was still in recovery mode when the assignment of development of a television program about the dynamic duo was put into the lap of William Dozer. You're one of those who just can't get enough of Batman. Help is here. In 1965, the American Broadcasting Corporation, or as we know them, ABC, the ratings for that network were very poor, and they were looking for a fresh new show to broadcast in the new year. So they went to William Dozer, who had the idea to do a do-over for Batman to make it fun for adults and appealing to youths. In the early 60s, Ed Graham Productions optioned the TV rights to the comic strip Batman and planned a straightforward juvenile adventure show, kind of like what The Lone Ranger was and it was going to be CBS on Saturday mornings. Mike Henry, who would later go on to star in the Tarzan franchise, he was going to be the star of this Batman series that they had in mind. Reportedly, DC Comics commissioned publicity photos of Henry in a Batman costume. Around the same time, the Playboy Club in Chicago was screening the Batman serials on Saturday nights. It became very popular as the hip partygoers would cheer and applaud the dynamic duo and boo and hiss at the villains. East Coast ABC executive Yale Udoff, a Batman fan in childhood, attended one of these parties at the Playboy Club and was impressed with the reaction the serials were getting. He contacted Harve Bennett and Edgar Sherrick, who were already considering developing a TV series based on a comic strip action hero, to suggest a primetime Batman series in the hip and fun style of The Man from Uncle. When negotiations between CBS and Graham stalled, DC quickly reobtained rights and made the deal with ABC. ABC farmed the rights out to 20th Century Fox to produce the series. Fox in turn handled, handed the project to William Dozier and his Greenway Productions. Whereas ABC and Fox were expecting a hip and fun yet still serious adventure show, Dozier, who loathed comic books, concluded the only way to make the show work was to do it as a pop art camp comedy. Originally, espionage novelist Eric Ambler was to write the motion picture that would launch the TV series, but he dropped out after learning of Dozier's camp comedy approach. 
By the time ABC pushed up the debut date to January of 1966, thus foregoing the movie until the summer hiatus, Lorenzo Semple Jr. had signed on as head scriptwriter. He wrote the pilot's script and generally kept his scripts more on the side of pop art adventure. Stanley Ralph Ross, Stanford Sherman, and Charles Hoffman were scriptwriters who generally leaned more toward camp comedy, and in Ross's case, sometimes outright slapstick and satire. Instead of producing a one-hour show, Doiser and Semple decided to have the show air twice a week in a half-hour installments with cliffhanger connecting the two episodes, echoing the old movie serials. Initially, Dozer wanted Ty Harden to play Batman, but he was unavailable, filming westerns in Europe. Eventually, two sets of screen tests were filmed, one with Adam West and Burt Ward, and the other with Lyle Wagner and Pete Dale, with West and Ward winning the roles. West, by no means, was the first choice. It aired on the American Broadcasting Company network for two and a half seasons from January 12, 1966 to March 14, 1968. Despite its short run, the series had two weekly installments for most of its tenure, giving the show a total of 120 episodes, the equivalent to roughly five regular seasons. They clearly went for the camp direction straight from the start and took a big departure from what people had seen before. It probably fitted in with the times with the swing in 60s and everything, but there's one area I'm not entirely sure about, and you guys might be able to clear me up on this bit, is that what was the comic like during the 60s? Was it similar to this show, or did it change because of the show? No, um, the comics themselves were, I wouldn't say bad, the 50s, the, this, this, the TV show was more based off of the silliness of the 50s and early 60s. Towards the middle of the run on the TV show, that's when the comics kind of were just normal comics. So it, wasn't, it wasn't silly, it wasn't funny. And then it was after the TV series and a couple years later, it was around 1970 when Batman got back to its serious roots. Yeah, when did Schwartz become the Bat book editor and clean everything up? Sometime after the space aliens, because Schwartz was the one that said, like, bring back the Joker, bring back the Penguin, lose the Batman of Planet X. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, the, the 70s spell change for Batman. But right there, right in the 60s, uh, uh, you know, it, people always say that, uh, you know, the bad books were hurting. I mean, they were hurting, but they were also the ideas were kind of out there. I mean, you, you've had characters like Spellbinder. Uh, you had also Alfred B becoming the um, what was Alfred? The Outsider. The outsider, and okay. you you had stories you had stories like that to where it, they weren't relative to the to the TV show in any way, but uh, the change was coming and the change did come along with uh, when the show ended in 1969. The change did come to Batman comics also in 1970. We also had an extended supporting cast in the books prior because we had Betty Kane Batgirl and Kathy Kane Batwoman. We had Aunt Harriet, who they included in the TV show. At the time, Alfred was dead, though. Uh, they later brought him back and said, oh, he was the outsider all along. Uh, the regular cast of the 60s show was 
Bruce Wayne, Adam West, Burt Ward, Grayson, Alan Napier was Alfred, uh, Neil Hamilton was Commissioner Gordon, we had Stafford Rep as Chief O'Hara, Madge Blake as Aunt Harriet, Yvonne Craig as Barbara Gordon, Byron Keith as the mayor, and William Dozier, the producer of the show, was Desmond Doomsday, also known as the narrator. And dozens, dozens of other actors portrayed villains and henchmen on Batman. Four criminals in particular appeared frequently, although they were sometimes played by different people. But the best-known ones are Burgess Meredith as the Penguin, Cesar Romero as the Joker, Julie Newmar, Eartha Kitt, and Lee Merriweather as the Catwoman, Frank Gorshin and John Astin as the Riddler, and other popular villains included George Sanders, Otto Preminger, not sure about that one, and Ellie Wallach as Mr. Freeze, Victor Buono as King Tut, and Vincent Price as Egghead. So let's have a closer look at the actors in detail. All this singing is contagious. I'll sing too. Adam West, Adam West, a little bit softer now. Adam West, Adam West, Adam West, Adam West. I'll come out when they're all gone. Adam West was born in Seattle in 1928. He was actually born as William West Anderson, but changed his name to a more dynamic Adam West in 1957. Adam was exposed to show business early in his life. His parents were interested in the local legitimate theater and frequently entertained visiting celebrities. After graduating from Lakeside School in Seattle, he pursued a variety of courses at the University of California in Santa Barbara. From there, he moved to graduate working in radio and TV, as well as journalism at Stanford. It was a Palo Alto that he began his dramatic career when he won an audition and signed as a writer-director for Seven, Seven Station Network, which also owned three newspapers. Okay, a year later, when Adam West was drafted into the Army, during his stint, he actually started the Army's first TV station. This was at uh, Camp Louis Obisco. He did the same thing at Fort Monmouth in New Jersey. After he was discharged from the Army, he decided to follow a long-time urge to take a walking trip through Europe. So he can go on this trip to earn the necessary money. He took jobs as TV MCs for the Tommy Tucker Show. He sang in clubs and worked as a milkman. He was a singer, cowboy, truck driver, and many other things. Before Adam got to Hollywood, he was a disc jockey in Hawaii and a radio presenter for the program The Kini Popo Show. Once in Hollywood, Adam appeared on TV shows like 77 Sunset Trip, Sugarfoot, Cheyenne, Lawman, and Beachcombers. When Adam was asked to consider the role as Batman, he replied, Are you serious? I'm trying to have a serious career. Nevertheless, he auditioned for the show, was filmed in a screen test, and chosen for the role of Batman, which later became his signature role. And aren't we glad? Yes, we are. We are. No, Robin. No. It's not for mortals like us to tamper with the laws of nature. In the role of dashing fighter against crime, executive producer William Dozer sought an actor who could honestly portray Batman in scaling the sides of buildings, battling arch criminals, and in hand-to-hand combat, and other situations where a real athlete was necessary. As Bruce Wayne, Batman's other character when not fighting crime, the actor must portray a handsome, athletic, intelligent young millionaire living in a mansion and maintaining a deep desire to help his fellow man through his philanthropic projects. 
In Adam West, he found both qualities. That's everything you needed to know about Adam West. Now on to Burt Ward. One of Hollywood's fastest rising young stars, Burt Ward was raised in the shadow of the movie industry. Four against one. Four against two, Batman. Robin, I couldn't resist. You were taken in by her, but I'm too young for that sort of thing. When he was only two, he was featured in the Hollywood Citizen News newspaper for his ability to ice skate. And this early training led him into many athletic endeavours. Studious as well as athletic, Burt was chosen in 1962 to demonstrate his amazing ability to read 30,000 words per minute before teachers at UCLA. A native of Los Angeles, he attended Hawthorne Elementary and graduated from Beverly Hills High School. He was studying theater arts at UCLA when discovered for the covenant role of Robin. The slender young actor who plays Batman's aide in continuing fight against crime was discovered after a nationwide search by executive producer William Dozer. Bird applied hoping for a bit, a bit part and walked away with a coveted role of Robin. He fit the role perfectly, having won athletic awards in track, wrestling, and tennis in school, and he was also a brown belt in karate. West and Ward developed a firm friendship since the show began, and West has become like a brother to Bert, remembering his fledging days in the business. The 20-year-old actor, by the way, was playing a 15-and-a-half-year-old during the series, and he was also married at the time. Holy barracuda! All right, and now we're... Going to learn about Yvonne Craig, one of my favorites. She played Batgirl. She, Batgirl, the character, entered the TV, the Batman TV show in 1967 in order to try to freshen up and save the series as it was in danger of being canceled, since its popularity had been declining at the end of its second season. The green-eyed, petite Miss Yvonne Craig was picked. She has a dual identity in the series, playing both the crime-fighting femme and diminutive Barbara Gordon, daughter of Police Commissioner Gordon, and working in Gotham City Library. Before you throw everyone in the pot, Penguin, you may find yourself in hot water. Batgirl, how did you find this place? I just adore weddings, Penguin. Well, funerals before weddings, Batgirl. Get her! in Columbus, Ohio, in Dallas, Texas, her first ambition was to become a ballerina. She studied in Dallas and was the protege of Alexandra Danilova. Yvonne instead auditioned for the Ballet Russe in New York. At the ripe old age of 16, was accepted and told to report for work the following season. She accepted the contract, returned to Dallas, and set about completing her high school education at Sunset High School. On the threshold of a promising career in ballet, Yvonne suffered a setback. She was not permitted to graduate with her high school class because she had flunked a class three years in a row. The class was physical education. Still studying with the Loring School, Yvonne was dining with friends one evening when director Jerry Hopper and actor Patrick Wayne, son of John Wayne, spotted her and soon after set her for a featured role in The Young Land. She worked pretty steadily for from then on, including appearances in such theatrical features as Gidget, and by Love Possessed, a television series including 77, Sunset Strip, and My Favorite Martian. She was then offered the role of Batgirl, which she saw as her big break into TV. In this series, Batgirl makes the dynamic duo, Batman and Robin, become the terrific trio as they foil criminals' plots. It was an attempt to draw female viewers into the show as well as pleasing the current male audience. However, Shirley Catwoman was doing that already. 
A 10-minute promo was created to introduce Batgirl character into the Batman show in 1967. To make her appearance in the third series, ABC liked the idea. But unfortunately, her appearance couldn't save the Batman series. And sadly, the TV, Batman TV show ended in 1968 with Batgirl appearing in 26 episodes. Now some fun facts about Alfred, who was played by Alan Napier. Actually, um, he originally did not want to do the role, but a friend convinced him to do it. He said, come on, you'll be the most famous butler in the world. Now, Alan Napier was born January 7, 1903, in Birmingham, England, the United Kingdom. He's actually the cousin of Neville Chamberlain, who was the British Prime Minister from 1937 through 1940. Unfortunately, Alfred Alan Napier is no longer with us. He died on August 8, 1988 in Santa Monica, California. Aunt Harriet, played by Madge Blake. Blake's character was added to the TV series Batman, partly so that there was someone else in the house to prevent the two heroes from spending all their time in their Batman and Robin costumes, and partly because nervousness behind the scenes about two young, unattached men like Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson, Batman and Robin, residing together unchaperoned. In addition to her role as Aunt Harriet Cooper on Batman, Madge Blake's other well-known roles include her gushy gossip columnist Dora Bailey in Singing in the Rain in 1952. At one point, the producers of Batman wanted to fire Madge Blake for reasons best known to themselves. Adam West, with whom she'd become friends, stood up for her, and she kept her job. The next day, he found a freshly baked cake in his dressing room. To this day, West considers that one of the best compliments he's ever been paid. Blake was also one of the models for the Disney artists to model the fairies in Sleeping Beauty. Aunt Harriet was only in about three episodes in season three because she was seriously ill and passed away a year after the Batman show finished, on February 19, 1969, in Pasadena, California, because of a heart attack. Here's a dime. Call Commissioner Gordon. All right, so let's talk about Commissioner Gordon. He was played by Neil Hamilton. Neil Hamilton's show business career began when he secured a job as a shirt model in a magazine ad. He became interested in acting and secured his first film role in 1918, but got his big break from D.W. Griffin in The White Rose in 1923. After performing in several more Griffith films, Hamilton was signed by Paramount in the late 1920s and soon became one of that studio's most popular leading men. His rugged good looks and sophisticated demeanor kept him steadily employed, and he worked for just about every studio in Hollywood, from glittering MGM to rock-bottom PRC. Hamilton worked steadily over the years and grew gracefully into mature supporting roles, including the great fun Commissioner Gordon. He sadly died in 1984 on September 24th in California. If, if you're thinking... What I'm afraid you're thinking. Precisely, Chief O'Hara. The moment we've dreaded for years has arrived. This time, we're going to have to solve a case ourselves. And now, Chief O'Hara, who was played by Stafford Rep. He started his acting career in midlife after his World War II stint in the Army Air Corps. His big break came when he was hired to create sound effects during the golden age of TV. 
He's a veteran character actor best known for his role as Chief O'Hara. He played many cops during his career, and coincidentally his brother was a real-life police officer. His Irish brogue as Chief O'Hara was not real. He developed it for the part. And sadly, he suffered a fatal heart attack on November 5th, 1974. And now on to the villains. Here is a list of the main villains who featured in the show, some of the comics and some created for the show. Archer, Black Widow, Bookworm, Catwoman, Shandell, Clock King, Colonel Grum, Dr. Cassandra, Egghead, Falseface, The Joker, King Tut, Lady Penelope, Peasoup, Lord Fogg, Louis and the Lilac, Mad Hatter, Mob Parker, Marsha, Queen of Diamonds, Minerva, Minstrel, Mr. Freeze, Nora Clavicle, Olga, Queen of Cossacks, Penguin, Riddler, Sandman, Shame, Siren, Zelda the Great, The Puzzler. And now we will focus on some of our favorites. And so just before we go on, does anyone remember much about those less obvious uh, villains? Yes. Here and there. Which one was Zaza Gabor? Zaza Gabor was... Was she old guy? Olga was played by... It was a, another actress, and she wasn't famous. Olga, I think, played Lady Penelope. I say it's crazy, but I say let's try it. We have to do something to get Batman out of the way. Okay, the Catwoman is one of Batman's earliest comic book adversaries. She first appeared in Batman issue 1 in the spring of 1940 and became one of the best-known and most frequently seen Batman villains. Catwoman is one of Gotham City's most prominent villains, appearing in 15 episodes, and 12 of them were with Julie Newmar. Catwoman was more prominent during the second season, and Julie's character took another slant. Sexual tensions began to develop, particularly in The Bat's No Toe, where Catwoman asked for a date. The love interest was developed by the producers to keep the adult viewers more engaged. And boy, were they ever. Oh, yes, we were. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Catwoman. Catwoman, will you never learn? Julie Newmar on taking the role. She said that I had lived in New York at the time on Beekman's place. I remember it was a weekend, Friday or Saturday, and my brother had come down from Harvard with five or six of his friends, and we were all sitting around the sofa just sitting away when the phone rang. I got up and answered, and it was the agent or someone in Hollywood who said, Miss Newmar, would you like to play the Catwoman on the Batman series? They are casting it out here. I was insulted because he said it starts Monday. I said, what is this? That's how television is done. They never know when they are doing until yesterday. My brother leapt off the sofa. I mean, he physically levitated and said, Batman, that's our favorite show at Harvard. We all quit our classes and quit our studies and run into our TV room and watch the show. I said, they want me to play Catwoman. He said, do it. And I said, okay, I'll do it. Stanley Ralph Ross, one of the writers, said that the reason Eartha Kitt replaced Julie Newmar during the third season was because Julie was doing a movie at the time. I think it was McKenna's Gold. Charles Fitzsimmons, the producer, said about Dozier's selection of Eartha Kitt as Catwoman, We felt it was a very provocative idea. She was a Catwoman before we ever cast her as Catwoman. She had a very cat-like style. Her eyes were cat-like, and her singing was like a meow. This came as a wonderful offbeat idea to do it with a black woman. And Yvonne Craig said, I thought Eartha was perfect because she was very cat-like anyway. And I liked that she was my size. I could beat her up. (laughs) I come up to Julie's belly button. Not good in a fight. But Kit lacked Julie 
Newmar's statuesque sexiness. The usual romance between Catwoman and Batman was said to be missing in Kit's episodes. Alan Napier said, Julie Newmar was the best Catwoman, but Earth of Kit was kind of marvelous. She did complain a lot on the set, though. <laughs> Eartha Kit was born on January 26, 1928, in South Carolina. When she was eight, she went to live with her aunt in Harlem. Orson Welles named her the most exciting woman in the world and signed Eartha up to star as Helen of Troy in his production of Dr. Faust in Paris. She played Catwoman from the end of 1967 and into 1968. Tune in tomorrow. Same cat time, same cat channel. Now, it would be a crime if I continued and talked about the Joker, so I'm going to pass it over to Apple so he can tell us about him. <laughs> oh, yes! The Joker. Cesar Romero was born of Cuban parents in New York City in February 1907. He attended the Collegiate and Riverdale County Schools before gaining employment as a ballroom dancer. He first appeared on Broadway in 1927's production of Lady Do. His first role was The Shadow Laughs, 1933, after which he gave strong performances in The Devil is a Woman, 1935, and in the Shirley Temple favorite, Wee Willie Winky, 1937. Critics and fans generally agree that Ramiro's best performance was the Spanish explorer Cortez in The Captain of Castel in 1947. Although Ramiro became quite wealthy and had no need to work, he could not stay away from being in front of the cameras. He continued to appear in a broad variety of film roles, but surprised everyone in Hollywood by taking on the role of the Joker. In the hugely successful TV series Batman 1966, he refused to shave his trademark mustache for the role. And close observation shows, however, the white clown makeup went, went straight on over his much-loved mustache. The appearance in Batman were actually only a small part of the enormous amount of the work that Romero contributed to the, to the television. However, it was the Joker for which his TV work was best remembered. And Romero often remarked that for many years after the Batman finished, fans would stop him and ask him to chuckle and giggle away just like he did as a Joker. Romero always obliged, and both he and the fans just loved it. The Clown of Crime is a common villain in the show appearing in 19 episodes. Cesar Romero, I was very surprised when the producers of the show called me and said he was doing a series called Batman. And important characters were the villains. They had done the first two with the Riddler and the Penguin with Frank Gorshin and Burgess Meredith. And now they were ready to do a third. And the villain was the Joker. He said, I would like you to play the part. So I said, I would like to read the script and know what's it all about. So he said, come on over to the studio and I will show you the film and the first episodes. Of course, it was great. I said, let me read this Joker part. And if it's as good as the first one, hell yes, I will do it. So I read the script and I thought it was a gas. And I said, sure, I'll go ahead and do it. The makeup took about an hour to put on, but the wig was a thing that bothered me more than anything else. The wig was green, of course, but it sometimes photographed red, yellow, everything but green. 
They would glue the wig to the front of my forehead, and after a while, it would give me a headache. Tall and savvy and sophisticated, Cesar Romero actually had two claims to fame in Hollywood. To one generation, he was this distinguished Latin lover of numerous musicals and romantic comedies. And he was known as the rogue bandit, the Cisco Kid, and a string of low-budget westerns. However, the young generation weaned on a television... Romero was better known as a white-faced, green-haired, crackling villain, the Joker. Date of death was January 1st, 1994, Santa Monica, California. Poor devil. Forced to live in an air-conditioned suit that keeps his body temperature down to 50 degrees below zero. No wonder his mind is warped. Okay, so now on to Mr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze became Mr. Freeze in a fight between himself and Batman and led to Batman accidentally spilling instant freeze solution onto him, forcing him to live in a cold environment of 50 degrees below zero. George Sanders was the first actor out of three actors to play Mr. Freeze. Then Otto Preminger played the character. William Dozer commented on Otto's saying, Otto I had known for a long time, and he called me from New York and said, Bill, I must do Batman. If you don't do Batman, my children won't let me come Elak Wallach was the final Mr. Freeze. And now on to Penguin, one of a very popular villain amongst the fans, who was played by Burgess Meredith. Friends and fellow citizens, I want to give you my solemn word that there will be no mud-slinging in this campaign, unless, of course, my opponent slings it. But I intend to stick to the issues. Now, what are the issues? There is only one. Batman. The waddling bird of foul play, he was also known as. The Penguin was so popular that the producers always had a script ready for Burgess when he came to town. He said that I did Batman for two reasons, one of which was the salary, and the other was that after its first few episodes, Batman became the in thing to do. Everybody, including Frank Sinatra, would either play a villain or appear as himself in that cameo showcase where a celebrity would poke his head through the window of a building. I even remember... Otto Preminger saying to me, my God, my son won't speak to me unless I get a job on Batman. Eventually he got it. Actually, we, don't, we didn't get as much money from the show as you might think, although we were paid decent money for the feature film Virgin. reason to, to appear on Batman and continue appearing on it was beyond the desire to get some TV work was that it was fashionable. Developing his grunting penguin laugh out of necessity, M- Meredith had given up smoking some 20 odd years earlier, but his character was required to smoke with a cigarette holder. The smoke would get caught in his throat and he would start coughing. Rather than constantly ruin takes in this matter, he developed the laugh to cover it up. He says that actually it was a pretty funny noise for a penguin to make, that he sounded more like a duck. Needless to say, Meredith gave up smoking again immediately after the series ended. Meredith also went on to play Mickey in the Rocky films as well. (laughs) So moving on 
Alright, so the Riddler, Frank Gorshin, appeared in several projects before Batman, including Invasion of the Saucermen and the Munsters, but is, nest, but is best known for his Riddler role. When I was first approached to play the Riddler, I thought it was a joke. Then I discovered the show had a good script and agreed to do the role, but only on a show-to-show basis. I am now in love with the character. Gorshin said, I developed the... Riddler's fiendish laugh at Hollywood parties. I listened to myself laugh and discovered that the funniest jokes brought out the high-pitched giggle I use on the show. With further study, I came to realize that it wasn't so much how I laughed as what I laughed at that created the sense of menace. That crazy missile! It rode two more rails before it blew up! What goes up white and comes down yellow and white? An egg! How do you divide... 17 apples among 16 people. Make applesauce! Okay, and that's everything on the cast and characters of the show. Right, well, Adam West and Burt Ward, we obviously love them a lot. It's a shame that they never got to do a bit more because they became so typecast with this show, but will we all agree they did a very good job and were very good actors at the time? Yeah, I'd say so. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. they, 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 they didn't. It, it wasn't a. I guess how you would say they, it wasn't their perfect acting gig, but it was a job. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I mean, we of course you know Batman fans love them. Yeah, it was the double, double-edged sword. I guess they became icons, but only as those characters. So, I appreciate the work they did on Batman, and feel sorry that the fact that they did such a good job almost doomed them <laughs> you know but they were really good in their roles it um their acting matched the whole campy theme and it was they were perfect they fit right in and and okay so uh, moving on to the rest of them the villains uh who were your favorites i mean mine personally was gorshin's riddler i thought he was brilliant he I enjoyed his character the most. I thought his crazy laugh was brilliant. His ridiculous, stupid riddles, which no one could solve apart from Batman, were brilliant. And uh, Gorshin also, I thought, made him a little bit scary, too. And when you, when I was a kid, I, I found the re- Riddler a little bit creepy. But uh, what about the rest of you? I know who Apples is going to be, but... <laughs> well, for me, it was not so much the main villains as it was the minor villains. You know, having Egghead, having King Tut, the ones that you know, weren't as well known because, you know, none of them really had a huge part in the comics or a part in the comics at all, but to use some kind of creativeness to create these new villains was kind of interesting. Yeah, um, I, I love those minor villains. I mean, uh, the the Cossacks and, uh, and, you know, the minor villains like that, Egghead, of course, but... Um, you know my my favorite villain, of course. Uh, I love Joker, but uh, Frank Gorshin set the the tone for Riddler. Um, you know, I I hate to be one of those fans that say, "Oh, I, I can't see whoever's going to play the Riddler after that." You know what I mean? <laughs> like how some people say after Heath Ledger playing the Joker, but uh, Frank Gorshin. Oh my God, he was he to me when when the Riddler came out and he came out, I was like, man, the, the way he was as as a person, you really thought like, man, this guy is just like out there, you know. He did such a perfect job. I mean, yes, Adam West played Batman, you know, it was awesome. Uh, Caesar Romero, the romantic. 
guy that he was and the stature that he was at the time playing the Joker. He was awesome. But, I mean, to be honest, I mean, Frank was like, he was probably head and shoulders above any other cast that was casted for the roles. Because, I mean, the performance he gave is just, man, it's just memorizing. I love him. I love him as the Riddler. Yeah, I don't have much to add to the praise of Frank Gorshin because he was perfect. He was the Riddler, you know. But um, I do think we've overlooked Burgess Meredith. He was an awesome penguin. He was almost, like somebody said about the Riddler, he was almost a little scary. I mean, even just in relation to the his surroundings, he was a little bit intimidating with that weird laugh. and He did the perfect um, physical acting, the waddling and everything. And mm-hmm. if you've seen Burgess Meredith and other stuff, that's he's an awesome actor. He can go from total the ends of the spectrum you know mm-hmm. so that was a pretty cool job and uh one of the minor ones that i really enjoyed was vincent price as i believe egghead yeah he was really good vincent price is just has the perfect voice to be a villain so that was a good casting choice i thought burgess meredith as the penguin i'm gonna have james savannah there first of all his little <laughs> That's I can't I can't I can't do it justice, but that's gone down in like pop culture. Like people are using it to make fun of old people and politicians. That's that's gone down in history. And the Penguins' plots were always hilarious. He tried to marry Barbara Gordon so he could be pardoned as the commissioner's son-in-law. He tried to run for mayor against. Batman. Oh, that was an awesome about, show. Yes. Yeah, I'm not talking about Batman Returns. I'm talking about in the '60s series. He tried to run for mayor, and he had a yeah. debate against Batman, and he had those campaign ads. Everybody loved that penguin. I mean, next to Susie Knickerbocker, that's my favorite character. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, people who don't, don't get recognized that much, but uh, Chief O'Hara and Commissioner Gordon, they they were awesome too. They they played along perfectly alongside the heroes, capturing these villains. And in a way, it was almost like, man, you know, our commissioner and our police can't be that dumb and slow, you know. But <laughs> but to get you know these these villains that were supposed to be you know real masterminds, uh, I think they played perfectly along, adding to the to the to the villain side. Another person I like, and you're going to be so surprised, is Batgirl. She was just the perfect oh Batgirl. I know, right? Um, but she was perfectly naive and yet a strong character. And, you know, she was just perfect. She was even a good age for Batgirl. Even, I know that's come up recently with Barbara Gordon, you know, versus other people for the battle for the bat boots, but um, she was a great bat girl, even though she hasn't had that many appearances. It was a great incarnation of the character. You know, one villain that we didn't talk about, but will we all agree that Julie Newmar was like the hottest cat woman? I don't agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> what okay, about Eartha my- Kitt? She's already so feline. She's perfect. <laughs> I don't know, maybe because she was... Uh, my my vote was like, Julie Newmar. Yeah, Julie <laughs> Newmar was like hot. She was tall. I'm not sure. I like all three of those cat women. Depends on the day of the week. And uh, <laughs> what about Alfred? Um, I always loved Alfred when he went out 
sort of in disguise with um he'd put a little sort of mask. thing across his yeah, little thing across his eyes and then put his no one's on gonna know <laughs> yeah, no, he's Batman, Batman. <laughs> yeah, he's the Alfred. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. Love that Alfred. And now we're going to move on to the typical storylines that the show had, the style of it, and why it was so popular, and what was the typical formula that the show adopted. Josh, do you want to take this one away? Typical storylines usually began with the villain, who was often one of the short list of reoccurring supervillains or one of the original creations, committing a crime such as stealing a fabulous gem or taking over Gotham City. This was followed by a scene inside Police Commissioner Gordon's office where he and Chief O'Hara would deduce exactly which villain they were dealing with. Gordon would press a button on the bat phone, which was the bright red telephone, located on a pedestal in his office. The scene would then cut to stately Wayne Manor, where Alfred the butler would answer an identical bat phone, beeping loudly on the desk in Bruce Wayne's study. Frequently, Wayne and his ward Dick Grayson would be found talking with Dick's Aunt Harriet, who wasn't aware of their dual identities. Alfred would interrupt with some pretext as to they could excuse themselves and answer the bat phone. Upon learning which criminal he would face this time, Bruce would push a button concealed within the bust of William Shakespeare that stood on his desk, causing a bookcase to slide back and revealing two bat poles. To the bat pole, Wayne would exclaim, at which he and Grayson would slide down the bat cave, slide down to the bat cave, activating a mechanism on the way that dressed them in their costumes. Often, at this point, the animated title sequence would begin. Similar in style and content to the 1940s serials, they would arrive in the Batcave in full costume and jump onto the Batmobile, Batman in the driver's seat. Robin would say... Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. and the two would race off out of the cave at high speed. As the Batmobile approached the mouth of the cave, actually a tunnel entrance in Los Angeles's Bronson Canyon, a hinged barrier dropped down to allow the car to exit in onto the road. Scenes from the dynamic duo sliding down the bat poles in the Batcave to the arrival at Commissioner Gordon's building via the Batmobile, while the episode credits are shown, are actually reused footage that is used in nearly all of the episodes created. After arriving at Commissioner Gordon's office, the initial discussion of the crime usually led to the dynamic duo conducting their investigation alone. During the investigation, a meeting with the villain would usually ensue, with the heroes getting involved in a fight and the villain getting away, leaving a series of unlikely clues for the duo to investigate. Later, the duo would face the villain again, and... The villain would end up capturing one or both of the heroes and place them in a death trap with a cliffhanger ending which was usually resolved in the first few minutes of the next episode. Can Batman escape? One hint, the worst is yet to come. The same pattern was repeated in the following episode until the villain was defeated in a major brawl where the action was punctuated by superimposed onomatopoeic words as in comic book fight scenes like Pow, Bam, and Zock. The series utilized a narrator, producer William Dozer, uncredited, by the way, who parodied the breathless narration style of the 1940 serial. He would end many of the cliffhanger episodes by intoning 
Tune in tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. Tune in tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. Or just same time, same channel. Aside from betraying super criminal, another coveted spot was the bat climb cameo. Often as the dynamic duo scaled a building using the batarangs and bat ropes, this was actually filmed on a horizontal surface with their capes held up by strings from off camera and aired with the shot rotating 90 degrees. A window would swing open, a celebrity would pop their head out, and a short conversation would ensue. The bat climb cameo scenes were discontinued for the third season due to low budgets. The people that were included in some of these scenes were Ted Cassidy reprising his role as Lurch, Dick Clark, Bill Dana as Jose Jimenez, Sammy Davis Jr., Andy Devine played Santa Claus, Howard Duff, who also later appeared as the villain Kabbalah, Don Ho, Werning Klemper as Colonel Klink, Susie Knickerbocker. <laughs> what kind of... <laughs> That can't be her real name. <laughs> Bruce Lee as Cato, Jerry Lewis, Art Linkletter, Edward G. Robinson, and Van Williams as the Green Hornet. Many sports, music, and media personalities, and a number of Hollywood actors looked forward to and enjoyed their appearances as villains on The Batman Show. They were generally allowed to overact and enjoy themselves on a high-rated TV series, guaranteeing them considerable exposure and thus boosting their careers. The comics Mr. Zero was renamed Mr. Freeze, a name change that was copied in the comics with lasting effect. And the comics Brainy Barrows was reworked as Egghead. Adam West enjoys the fact that he was one of the big three B's of the 1960s, Batman, the Beatles, and Bond. West says he was actually invited to play Bond in On Her Majesty's Secret Service based on his popularity as Batman, but declined the role as he felt it should be played by a British actor. Ironically, the role then went to an Australian, George Lazenby. I will say this as a James Bond fan, George Lazenby has been regarded as one of the worst Bonds ever. Undoubtedly. Uh, yes, with Have you seen that movie? <laughs> I've, yeah. seen, I've, seen, I've seen that movie. It's, uh, he, he was set he up to fail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's based on the book, so the marriage wasn't just added for the movie, but... Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lazenby had a big horse on his back, though, because he was the first Bond after Connery, and people were going to oh, hate him no true. matter what. The live-action TV show remained extraordinarily popular. At the height of its popularity, it was the only primetime TV show other than Peyton Place to broadcast twice in one week as part of its regular schedule. At the very end of the Thursday night segment, a little tag featuring the next week's villain would be shown. Next week... Batman jousts with the Joker again. Uh, and now we're just going to have a break for a minute and, and talk exactly about why we really enjoyed the show and what were her, our favorite moments about it. Um, I, I really love the show. I, I love the, the introduction of the Batmobile. It was very cool. Uh, I love Adam West, and uh, he always talks about that in some ways he was a real Batman because he, could, he can actually show his body in the Batman costume, which is... Just funny to hear <laughs> because he was he's just cool like that. Um, of course, uh, Cesar Romero, from what I gathered when I was growing up, uh, from my aunts and friends, uh, moms and and aunts and grandmothers, this guy was a heartthrob. Cesar Romero was a heartthrob, so him playing the Joker, you know, kind of brought that, I guess, the woman factor in. Hello, kitties, meet the Joker. 
But um, I mean, for 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 whatever it was and whatever it is, Frank Gorshin to me will always be the Riddler. I love him as a Riddler, and I love these stories. It's just fun. It's it, it, it's it, it's a different time. It was a different era um, in in TV history, and um, you know, I know people like to you know make fun of it. But in the real aspect, when you're sitting down and just enjoying the show, it, it's it's a lot of fun to enjoy. And uh, I love it. I, I look back at it as fond memories. I didn't realize how campy it was when I used to watch it when I was little. And I think a lot of it was written for with kids in mind, with some stuff for the adults to enjoy. I, and I never got why people made fun of it so much. And then I watched it when I was older and I was like, wow, they're really egging themselves here. But I took all that stuff seriously, the death traps and everything, and the cliffhangers. I used to love the cliffhangers. That was, like, one of my favorite parts. And just, like, some of the campy dialogue they gave Adam West. It's a low neighborhood full of rum pots. They're used to curious sights, which they attribute to alcoholic delusions. <laughs> like, <laughs> I-, I bought into all of that at the time, I am ashamed to say. But... <laughs> It's funny, and it's really important. The series is really important to Batman's history. It might not be what people like to remember now because they want Batman to be, oh my god, super realistic and oh my god, Chris Nolan and stuff. But this is part of his history, and it's an important part of his history, and it shouldn't be forgotten. Well, a lot of people credit the TV show for kind of boosting sales, and, you know, despite the different interviews that we've done with different people written books about Batman's history, they say that the show didn't really boost all the comics all that much, but it did give it a, a little bit of a push to get it from being, the, the get the cancellations of the series being halted, so, although there's plenty of other people who are attributed to, to that as well, and we're not going to go into that, because that kind of strays away from the, the TV show, but I, I think that what Josh said, it, it is a part of Batman's history, whether some people like it or not, I, I can, I'll tell you the honest truth, I, when I watched this show when I was a kid, it was on reruns, I despised it, because it was on reruns on the weekends, on the network TV shows, or the network TV channels that I had, and then at the same time, you had Batman the Animated Series airing, you know, in cartoon form in the mornings on Saturdays, and there was two completely different things, and that was right around the same time that I was getting super involved with comics, really wanting to read comics, and I really did not understand why Batman was so incredibly, in my opinion, he was kind of dumbed down. But that's, that, that was just the opinion. Now, it still is a, you know, it still is an important part of history, and that's what makes a difference. Yeah, it's you have to approach it from a different kind of. You just have to approach it differently. It's a lot of fun, and I watch the movie a lot. It's really great. The lines, the campy lines, are hilarious, and the villains were pretty not exactly diabolical in that their death traps would probably not really work, but <laughs> their plans sounded kind of evil. They were sound in theory, but <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> when executed, it didn't really 
the cute like women. yeah so that's that adds an extra nobody layer. thought just to shoot them in the head <laughs> exactly <laughs> it was just funny the death traps you know um what i was going to say is that uh being a kid of the 80s we had the uh transformers gi joes uh, Thundercats and Batman's The 60 Show. They would show it after whenever you got off of school, so they try to put it in the time slot, so that way you had to rush home from school to watch the cartoons and get home, and Batman 66 was, uh, it was like the last show, so it was around like 5.30, so you literally came home from school, and you were glued to the TV until like 5.30 in the afternoon, and you couldn't do nothing, you couldn't do anything. Because <laughs> you had you had to watch those time slots, but um, uh, the the sixty six show uh, it it was it was so it was so fun it was so cool and the when the eighty nine film came out um, they started moving they moved it to Saturdays which was uh, it was kind of a bummer because you go play with your friends on Saturdays <laughs> so I didn't watch much of it when the eighty nine film dropped but uh, I loved it coming home from school and watching it I've always thought the show was absolutely brilliant because i think it's so well written because it works on two different levels as we've said as a kid apart from dustin we all really enjoyed it and it made us look you know we were gripped by it and found it intriguing but uh as i've got older and watched it as an adult i've i still find it really good entertainment really funny it makes me laugh all the time just adam west running and hopping and skipping and, and the crazy lines that they come up with are just hilarious and i just think it's so difficult to write a show that can work on two levels and you can imagine when it came out in the 60s you had your kids watching it loved it were gripped by all the action and adventure going on and the parents were watching it and were actually actually smiling at all the jokes all the way through it and there's very few shows that can work on those two different levels i guess i'm just too serious for it (laughs) why so serious why so serious (laughs) precisely robin (laughs) and on the subject of why there's actually a lot of people Believe it or not, these people are out there who are like, what do you mean Heath Ledger's the greatest Joker? Cesar Romero. And look online. There's people. And you could tell because you look at these people and say, okay, these are people who grew up and got introduced through the 60s TV series. And that's always going to be their Joker. Adam West is always going to be their Batman. And we talked about this on the message board before. Uh, on the recent 30 Rock episode, Alec Baldwin said that he wants to be friends with Batman, and he has his uh, secretary call Adam West. And my first thought was, okay, he grew up watching the 60s series, so Adam West is his Batman. And for a lot of people, that's what it's going to be. I heard somebody, uh, when I was a little boy, and we were watching the Batman uh, 90s series, my next-door neighbor, she said that that wasn't Batman. That, that was too dark and everything, because she grew up on the Adam West. Yeah. And you know the thing is that you know most of us that read comic books, um, we're always prepared for diff- different artists, different writers' um, vision of Joker. So I, I, I I've grown accustomed to just in- enjoying uh, different types of Joker. And I can't say, oh, this is my Joker. This is my Joker. I love what Heath Ledger did in The Dark Knight. I really love what Mark Hamill does in the television series and the animated show. Um, I love what Jack Nicholson did. Um, I love Cesar Romero. But at the same time, I love the Joker in comic books because even though the, these characters have portrayed Joker in this way, the comic book Joker is like a whole lot better because they're all grabbing from that. All the writers are grabbing the best parts of the Joker that are in 
uh, comic book form. But I mean, it, to say, hey, this is my Joker. I, I I tend to stay away from those lines. I I love it all. I I love whatever they've done with the Joker. But to me, I mean, it, it all comes from the comic books. I was hoping that uh, Heath Ledger was going to have a mustache in The Dark Knight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty great. Well, that concludes the first of three Batman Universe specials on the 60s TV show. I hope you enjoyed that. Next time we'll be looking at the movie, as well as... We'll be going through a lot of trivial facts that you are probably not aware of. And then we'll be discussing the unfortunate cancellation of the show. And we'll be discussing what a couple of the actors did after Batman was finished. You can always contact us at thebatmanuniverse.net if you've got any queries, suggestions or praise even. I hope you enjoyed that. Please tune in next time. And by the way, keep listening. Uh, it doesn't all make complete sense. It just work with what you what. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let me do that one again. Man, Savannah, you're going to have a long time. <laughs> so, in 1965. Hey, I want to stop there and let uh, Josh have a go. <laughs> I knew he I was going to be a very good that. idea to have Adam West there. Okay. Adam. I knew he was going to do that. I'm like, he's going to read this along. He's going to read the clip. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> 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 And did I say that right? Army. You're doing it again. He did the same thing at Fort Monmouth in New Jersey. Monmouth. Monmouth. (laughs) Philanthropic. Philanthropic. Say that again one more time. Philanthropic. Philanthropic. Almost. Philanthropic. That's better than me. (laughs) And we have this episode's tag. Is that supposed to be season? Uh, okay. Yeah, it's supposed to be yeah. second season. Yeah, we call them series. But yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Can I give? I'll give it a go. Yeah, that one. Hang on. See if you can hear this. Want to add it in there? <laughs> we'll add it in during yeah. the trivia section. We'll make it as a rumor, so that way everybody yeah. can sit there and say that. Ah, no, you're wrong. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> okay, Savannah. Excuse me. Mouth's getting dry. No, that doesn't make any sense. It was the other way around. Is Kabbalah how it's pronounced? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't want to like insult any Kabbalah religion people. (laughs) (laughs) Edward G. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I need to wiki this girl. Knickerbocker and Link Letter. <laughs> okay. Susie Knickerbocker. <laughs> okay. Let me go from Susie Knickerbocker. Knocker. <laughs> oh my god. Let's go. But inconspicuously. Through the window.